0: Welcome back to The Federal Drive with Tom Temin here on Federal News Network. With all of the news about rockets to the moon and Mars, it's easy to overlook that NASA has aeronautics in its name. In fact, the agency has an extensive program of research into flying structures that don't leave the atmosphere. Now there's a new associate administrator for NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate, or ARMD. Robert Pierce joins me now. Mr. Pierce, good to have you on.
1: Thank you. Good to be on.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to this aeronautics mission at uh, NASA.
1: Well, I um, I started my career as an aeronautical engineer, um, worked for Grumman Aircraft back when there was a Grumman Aircraft, and worked on such projects as the F-14 and X-29. And since then, um, came to, to NASA quite a few years ago and, and worked on all aspects of, of aeronautics, from safety to air traffic management to... To vehicle uh, vehicle research and development and so forth. So, um, so I have a pretty good background in in all aspects of what we do here. And then, and just recently, have have obviously taken over this role where where my responsibility is to to set the vision, develop and oversee the programs to to execute against that that vision. And work with the community to advance aeronautics for for the national interest and for our economic um, development and and benefit.
0: And by the way, we should point out, if I'm right, that Grumman himself invented the wing, as we understand it today, the internally braced cellular wing, correct?
1: Yeah, you know, Grumman was uh, was a great company. I mean, they actually started... as a company that bent aluminum, you know, so, um, and, you know, the Grumman canoe and everything else. So, yeah, so so Grumman's got a long history of, of innovation and and firsts, and I uh, was proud to be part of that, that company.
0: Well, go through with us briefly some of the research efforts. What are some of the top priorities for research in the aeronautics division right now at NASA?
1: Yeah, so we've got a number of really exciting um, activities and priorities uh, going on. Um, one one that's um, quite visible and, and we're really excited about is we're developing the, the X-59, a new experimental aircraft that's a, we call it the low-boom flight demonstrator. And essentially it's what we're trying to do and, and working with the community on is to see if we can't reduce the level of overland, you know, supersonic um, noise that occurs when we're flying at supersonic speed. So essentially, it's the sonic boom that everybody uh, is familiar with. And the problem is that if with if with the, the boom that's, that you might associate with uh, an aircraft uh, like the Concorde that uh, flew for many years.
0: I remember it that It was one. unacceptable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, great airplane, but it was un- unacceptable to fly over land because uh, the sonic boom was just was so loud and so disruptive that it had to fly supersonically over. Order. so what we're looking at you know using modern methods and so forth is is can you design an airplane a supersonic airplane with a much lower level of sonic boom noise we call it kind of a sonic thump so if you're you know in a busy city you probably wouldn't even notice it maybe out in a more rural area you might you might notice it as sort of background noise, but nothing too disturbing and so but in order to to make that um get that regulation because right now there's a rule that says it prohibits supersonic flight or commercial supersonic flight over land in order to get that um, um, the ability to, to change that rule, we need to go out and prove that. So we're building this X airplane, actually fly over communities and, and get community response to the noise, deliver that to FAA and ICAO, um, the international body that, uh, that works in these areas that sets uh, international rules and regulations, and try to you know to, to develop a standard that would allow industry then to build a new generation of supersonic commercial aircraft that could actually fly. Um, Anywhere so that's one of our our really exciting things and then and there's a lot of interest Uh, Companies are right at the forefront of of looking at getting back into commercial supersonics another area that we're looking at um, is is revolutionizing propulsion so Electric propulsion in the sky so you may see you may have heard about some small aircraft that are using electric propulsion Um, you know general aviation size in fact, we're we are developing a, um, an X-57, which is which is a general aviation scale, distributed electric propulsion. So, so dist- that means we've got small props along the, the leading edge of the of the airframe, as well as two cruise props on the on the outboard uh, parts of the wing so that's at you know at a a relatively small scale what we're doing is is developing that so again that we're we're helping the industry and we're helping fa and others figure out how to do these you know to develop these and fly these systems safely at the same time we're looking at bringing this to a very large scale so to um, airline transport scale airplanes so where we're looking at multi-megawatt level um, propulsion requirements and so we are right now in, in, um, out at the Glenn Research Center um, in a special facility out we have out there running one megawatt um, scale electric powertrain systems, So, and we're looking to bring that to flight, to experimental flight here in the next few years. And if we can do that, we can do that efficiently, and that, do that at lightweight. That would enable industry to start integrating um, at the, like I said, the, that... Sure. At one to two or three megawatt scale into into a into a large aircraft. Now a 737 A320 scale, you know, vehicle is is around you know is 20 megawatts of installed power. So it's not going to be the entire um, propulsion system, but it would enhance it in critical ways that would make the allow the flight to be more efficient, allow the aircraft to be more efficient. Puts us on an S curve, right? A new S curve that would allow the allow electric propulsion to be a dominant. Uh, propulsion source as we go to the future and we're looking at issues of sustainability and so forth.
0: We're speaking with Robert Pierce, he's Associate Administrator for NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate. Well let me ask you this, with these different priorities, some of them could affect commercial aircraft, some of them could affect general aviation, what is industry's part in the research that you're doing? Do you do it through grants to companies and researchers or does NASA do this itself or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so we've got um, four research centers across the country um, that have various um, specialties, um, things that they, you know, for example, a lot of names there, you know, we, we work our air traffic management, we do, you know, some vehicle aerodynamics and, and other types of capabilities there at the Glenn Research Center. Uh, We do propulsion-type technologies. At Langley, we do a whole range of vehicle and air traffic and and vehicle technologies. And at the Armstrong Flight Research Center, we do our our flight research. We've got a a very capable research staff at at all of those centers and a set of facilities that they use to do research. But we do all of that in partnership with with universities and with industry. That's really the effective way to do this, is we provide that long-term technical leadership beyond kind of the horizon of industry to, to make those Investments, but then we bring them in either through contracts or through cooperative agreements so that they're working with us. And so by the time we get to the end of a project, it's not just NASA that has has learned and has developed um, technology and, and methods and so forth, but they're now in the hands of our universities and our industry so that they can apply them to actual products.
0: Because I imagine that Boeing and Lockheed and Northrop and even, I don't know, who knows, maybe even Cessna have their own research programs going, but those would be maybe more immediately applied type of research and NASA's looking at the longer-term issues?
1: Yeah, that's correct, and and in fact, uh, if you look at the state of the industry today, it's really transforming. Um, you know, if you look at what's happening in UAS and now what's coming in what's called urban air mobility, so EV toll type airplanes, you know, that can fly, you know, larger cargo or two or three or four passengers around. You're seeing a whole range of of new companies um, springing up um, and parts of our established companies that are that are addressing these new areas as well so the industry is is changing um, it's dynamic and so it's a really very interesting time to be part of that research enterprise as we as we uh, form these more dynamic partnerships and try to do some really creative and transformative um research that's going to lead to new forms of transportation, new economic um, capabilities. And in in many ways, if you look at some of those new technologies, again, like urban air mobility, we need to involve folks like cities in our work, right? Because these forms of, of aviation are going to be much closer, much more intimate into our communities as they fly closer to population centers and so forth. So cities want to be involved. So, it's a very new and and really exciting time to be part of this this area because of just the the numbers of folks, the excitement that that these new players bring to the table, their ambition to move quickly, so it's challenging us, but it's also um it's also giving us lots of of great opportunities to to make an impact
0: and what about the f a a because a lot of what you're doing seems to impinge on their mission also?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't use the word impinge. I would say that with the FAA, we well, are... coincide we, with. Yeah, we we're, were a great partner, I believe, with the FAA. We Both in terms of traditional type air traffic management applications, we, in fact, in 2020, this year, we're finishing up a series of ATM technology demonstrations that directly enable the FAA to fulfill its next-gen program goals. And so that's been a tremendous partnership that um, that both sides have gotten great value from. So So that's... There, We've also, um, again, recently with, with what we've been doing with UAS and now with UAM, helping FAA, for example, we've developed the UAS traffic management system, which is very different, right? It's very low altitude. These are for small UAS operating at low altitude, 400 feet and below. So where there's where there's no airspace control, but you've got to have some ability to make sure you've got safe operations. So we've developed a UAS traffic management type prototype, more or less, that we worked with industry, worked with the FAA, and it's given them the ability to then validate requirements, see how this would work, and then incrementally start to to field both on the FAA side as well as on the industry side, field capabilities that move us towards this new future. So we're helping to be that leader, research leader for the FAA on the ATM side as well as what are the standards that FAA needs in order to certify these new kinds of vehicles. So industry is getting together and developing industry consensus standards, but oftentimes those have to be validated in, in experiment and so forth. That's another place where FAA and the NASA comes in. We help validate you know, do the complex experiments, flight experiments, ground experiments that can really validate some of these standards. And then it gives FAA more confidence in applying these standards as means of compliance.
0: And backing out to that larger research agenda, you mentioned a lot of things, sonic boom, less planes and different propulsion systems, electric planes and new urban transport systems. How ultimately does the research agenda get set? How do you decide what it is you're going to be doing in the next five and 10 years?
1: we maintain a very active partnership with industry with FAA with DOD with academia and so forth so we stay at the leading edge of of what's possible and what's needed what you know what does what does industry see in terms of of where they'd like to go what they'd like to see happen in the future and we've got our experts that say, "Hey, this is the art of the possible. What what can happen?" And with all that information, we you know we we synthesize what we think is the right vision, the right path forward, and then we validate that through advisory committees and through visits with with the community and so forth. And get that that consensus that this is in fact the the right research agenda for the nation, and and then we execute. So it's a it's just an ongoing very collaborative conversation that we that we sustain with the entire aviation community.
0: We're speaking with Robert Pierce. He's Associate Administrator for NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate. What about the issue of emissions, which concerns a lot of people from jet aircraft travel? Is that one of the things you're looking at?
1: Yeah, so that is a very big issue that the industry is facing, and they are working collaboratively through, again, through ICAO to set a a pathway to a um, to reduced emissions for aviation, even allowing for growth, they'd like to cut in half the amount of emissions that um, aviation produces by in the next you know 20 to 30 years, and so that's a big goal. Some of that is going to be through you know, new aircraft that are inherently more efficient, so they're going to burn less fuel for the operation they do. It's going to be through more efficient air traffic technology, so the, the routes and the landing and takeoff operations are inherently more efficient and burn less fuel. And it's going to be through alternative fuels. There we don't, NASA doesn't necessarily have a big role, but we do help um, the industry in terms of, of uh, fly, you know, we've in the past we have characterized the operation of, of jet engines um, with alternative fuels and so forth so that those fuels can be certified. So there's a whole range of strategies that have to be undertaken. Again, electric propulsion is one of those. It puts us on an S-curve to. You know, a zero-emission um, source, at least um, for the mission phase. So we're working with the industry to look at all of those options, look at all of those uh, strategies and technologies, and doing the research to to set the the, uh, uh, the path forward so that they can implement and and achieve those that those kind of dramatic reductions in emissions.
0: And looking backwards, if you say around 1958 to 1962, say at that period, aviation commercially fundamentally changed from propellers to jets. And that was much more than a change in engine and propulsion. It really changed the economics of the industry. And, and now millions and millions of people fly a day at cost that's a tenth of what it was, relatively speaking, in 1958 dollars. Yet, if you go forward from then to now, aviation pretty much looks the way it did. Unless you're sharp-eyed or you care about these things, you really can't tell a 707 from you know a modern plane. Do you envision game-changing fundamental alteration of aviation in the future, and what could that possibly look like?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a really um, it's a really good and, and interesting topic. As you said, I th- between about 1958 and 1970, right, the, the 707, 727, 737, 747, DC-8, 910, and the L-1011 all had their first flight. So modern aviation, was created in that 12-year period. And then, like you said, a lot of it was because the, the advent of the jet engine, but it was also a range of technology, swept wings, area ruling, monocoque fuselage, a whole number of things that came together to create that. But yeah, if you look today, the airplanes look, under the skin, many, many new technologies, they're, they're inherently more, much more efficient, but they look the same. You look forward, I think you're gonna see, we today have the ability, we have the methods and the ability to design aircraft that are inherently, more efficient by design which means they will look somewhat different and that's a big step i mean the 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 tube and wing configuration has been with us now for for 50 years that's the dominant design but we know that there's other designs that that, like i said are inherently more efficient we're working with our industry on that we think that you know over the next you know uh, 10 to 15 years there's a, definitely a possibility to see airline configurations that, that look different because they will be more, you know, like I said, that, that design is inherently more efficient. The other part of it is, is the propulsion will be inherently different as we start to add electric to it. Some of that is, will be invisible. Again, it will be sort of under the skin in terms of how we would integrate that electric propulsion, but eventually it could make the aircraft look different too. We could put propulsors in different places on the airplane because we can distribute that power very efficiently because it's the electric distribution of that, of that power. So so we look forward, we can't say exactly what it may look like, but I think that part, you know, those, those traditional airliner configurations are gonna look different. Certainly supersonics come in, those aircraft are gonna look very different. Similar to the Concord, the the wing configuration and and so forth will be very different. And then this notion of EV tolls and urban air mobility, those will be much smaller, vertical lift, um, all electric, and so forth. So that'll look different. So there's, I think, as you look out, and I I think this period between 19, I mean, be 20, be 2020, and say 2030 or so, we're going to see the same kind of transformation, that same reinvention of modern aviation in that time period. And I think coming out the other end, you're going to see, you know, the beginnings of those S-curves that will take us another 50 years um, into
0: the future. And what's your favorite plane of all time?
1: What's my favorite plane of all time? Well, you know, the the X-29 is near and dear to my heart because I, I worked on it, you know, as a forward swept wing aircraft with forward canards. And it had, it was just loaded with technologies from composites to, reduce static margin on the on the on the, the longitudinal control which I know is all jargon. But I mean it oh, was just, I get you. It's just such a yeah it was such a great um airplane and but you know, you know when we work in, in aeronautics and aviation, I mean it's 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 great to see these these really interesting designs. But uh what we really are focused on is is how do we make this system better and, and so a lot of it's under the skin, a lot of it's technologies maybe that the traveling public won't see, but but they're going to be reaping the benefit for for many decades. So, so I love I love the look of almost all the airplanes out there because because I know it's under the the surface and it's um it's just such a tremendous opportunity to to make an impact.
0: Robert Pierce is associate administrator for NASA's Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure.
0: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Kristen here, reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com.